0: Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 this morning. If you're watching the screen, you probably saw the uh, the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Matthew 26, um, begin with verse 36. Before I came in uh, this morning, just so that you're aware, our leaders for men's group tonight are ill. So if you were coming to men's Bible study tonight, we will ask that you come tomorrow night to that Bible study uh, as a makeup. That would be wonderful if you would do that. And we do pray for our leaders and their families for their sickness, that they would be healed quickly. Uh, Also, would like to point your attention to the inside of the bulletin. If you didn't see, there's a a little place there talking about baptism. Uh, We have baptism scheduled for next week. And... If you have not been baptized by immersion since becoming a Christian, since following Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about baptism, if you would just scan that QR code, uh, it'll take you to a form that you can fill it out uh, online and let us know. and We can get back in contact with you. Um, Or if you want to just make a note in the flap and and just give it to us, leave it on your pew. uh, We'll get it after service. But we do want to help you be obedient to Christ. Today we talk about refusing the flesh. And if you would hear the tone of our uh, music this morning, it's directed right to the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed. And we're going to look at that ordeal this morning. Matthew 26, uh, beginning with verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep, and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. As I read through this passage, there were at least three topics that we could dive into and, and study more deeply the first that i made note of that we could have done we're not this morning was just the topic of discipleship in in this we we see that there were many disciples in and following jesus but 12 walked closely with jesus but as we see in this picture there were three that were brought even closer and I believe that this is a principle of discipleship. That it, Discipleship occurs most effectively in smaller groups. It's impossible to be discipled this way. There's no dialogue. We're all basically taking the same information, the same scripture, and allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us. But we don't have an avenue of going back and forth and wrestling and holding each other accountable to what God is speaking to us. But when you're in a smaller group, that can occur. That's why we encourage all believers to be in small group Bible studies and discipleship classes. The second thing we could study is prayer. We could focus on Peter, James, and John and their unwillingness to pray, rather taking a nap instead of doing what Jesus said to do. Having just heard that he would fall away and deny Jesus three times, you would think that Peter might have been listening to Jesus and say, oh, you mean if I pray, then I'll be strengthened against the temptation to do that, which you said I was going to do? I think I would heed the the command of Jesus at that point. But there is a principle of prayer that we, we see played out here, and that is that we are strengthened against temptation When we spend time with God, man, that's huge. And that will go miles in your life. If you will simply recognize the temptations that I'm dealing with right now can be weakened if I spend more time with God. He tells us in his word that for every temptation you encounter, he creates a way out every time. Well, how do we know the way out? By spending time with him. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in his word. In that way, we are strengthened. The third thing that we can look at is flesh. And, and this is the topic that we're studying this morning. So in these verses, we see the Lord's humanity and his divinity as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was faced with something far worse than we could ever imagine. He was heavily burdened, and we see him physically here, refusing the, f- the flesh. As I tried to picture Jesus after he left the uh, eight disciples, because Judas had already gone, he left the eight disciples. He went further into the garden and then he had the three disciples and he stayed with them for a time. And then he said, I am, I'm grieving here. I'm to the point of death. I'm, I'm under such pressure. And he didn't stay there to be loved on by them. He went deeper into the garden by himself to be strengthened by the Father. What was hanging in the balance as, as he knelt there and prayed and, and spoke with the Father in heaven? Here's what's hanging in the balance. Our eternal destiny. Yours and mine. That's what was happening right there in the garden. God's plan of reconciliation and redemption addresses our helplessness and that we could not meet the demands of his holiness. He's perfect. We're not. And there's no amount of good that we can do that would bring us up to that level. We can't stop doing enough bad stuff to make it to that level. There's nothing we have done to earn it. There's nothing we have done to deserve it because we're dead in our sins. Therefore, because Jesus was without sin, his crucifixion was the only way for humanity to be reconciled to God and to be redeemed from sin and from its eternal consequences. All right here in the Garden of Gethsemane. The weight of what was happening Why would God require this of his son? Now we looked at that a few few verses back when we were talking about the Lord's Supper and we connected that to the Old Testament in Exodus, what was happening and the foreshadowing of, of Exodus into this moment. The short answer of why God would require this of his son is this. He loves us. Many verses describe God's love toward us. I'm just going to name a few. The first one is probably the most familiar in all the world. John 3.16. And I'm going to ask you to do something with me this morning. I'm going to ask you if you know it, if you will just say it with me in whatever translation you memorized it in. Okay? It's still God's word, and we're going to celebrate God's word in this way. So whatever your translation, and I'll just confess, mine is a mixture of King James, NIV, and, in a, and ESV. It kind of merges together, but it's the same message. So whatever your translation is, let's say it out loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, amen. Amen. That is a great picture of God's love for you and for me. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. Romans two four and 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. There's one other verse I want to share. And I want to share this verse because I believe that it shows the depth of Christ's love for you and me, but it also helps us understand what was happening at that moment. What was it that Jesus was facing as he knelt there and cried out to his Father? And that verse is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Listen to this. As he prayed in the garden that night, the pressure, the insight of what was happening right now, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me say that another way. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. So we see what's happening there. This is the This is the pressure that's upon Jesus, the human side of Jesus. There's a divine side of Jesus that knows this. There's the human side of Jesus that is facing the agony of the cross. The verse begins, for our sake. The Lord is not taking this action for his benefit. He's doing this for our benefit. So I want you to repeat this after me. He did it for me. Say that. There's no one. Whether you know Him or not does not matter. The fact is, Jesus did it for you. Everything that's happening right here, He did it for you. You can't run far enough. You can't curse Him enough. You can't rebel against Him enough. He still did it for you because He loves you. The next we see that God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin. When when I considered that statement or that part of the verse. I was reminded growing up, and I don't know if I heard a sermon like this or if it was just my interpretation of the, the verse, but, um, or if I just heard it from someone. I, I really don't know. But when I looked upon the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, I know he was beaten. I know he had spikes in his hands and his feet. I know he was hanging there. And the difficulty of, um, of trying to breathe... And and I heard something like this: that the weight of my sin pushed him down, so that he could not pull himself up again. I know that's a very elementary uh, perception of what was happening here, but if you, if you look at it this way, that somehow our sins were placed up on Jesus. And, and what I see in the, this verse is that's not accurate. What is accurate is that Jesus, God the Son, God in the flesh, who knew no sin in all eternity, became sin. He embodied your sin and mine on the cross. That's what he was facing. So God the Son would become sin. He would be separated from his Father and receive the full punishment for our sins now intellectually i understand that but i cannot grasp the depth of what was happening here martin luther calls that moment that second corinthians 521 the great exchange my sinfulness this is all i have to give you lord my sinfulness And he gives me his righteousness. Let me give you my disobedience. You give me your obedience. Let me give you my unrighteousness. You give me your righteousness. That's the great exchange. That's what happens on the cross when you submit to his authority. Jesus was without sin throughout all eternity. Except for this moment on the cross when he became sin. Jesus was in communion with God the Father for all eternity until the moment on the cross when he became sin and he had to be separated. That's because of our sin. This is what he was facing. He would be separated from his Father, he was separated because of us. Why would God do that on our behalf? Well, we already mentioned one reason why is because he loved us. But secondly, he did it that we might become the righteousness of God. By surrendering to him, by receiving his gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he did that knowing that most would deny him. Most would rebel against him. He still did it. That's a great love for you and for me. In Matthew 26, verses 37 and 38, we see that Jesus experienced grief and anguish. He told his three closest disciples, he said, I am greatly distressed to the point of death. He went further into the garden by himself to to pray. He fell to the ground. If you look in Luke chapter 22, which is a passage of the same event, that passage says that when he went away and fell to the ground by himself to pray, that an angel came from heaven to strengthen him. And it says that he was in such anguish that he was sweating drops of blood. The humanity of Jesus knew the anguish he must endure for us. The divinity of Jesus knew the sacrifice required for our sake, that there was no other way. And as we look at his specific prayer, he said, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me in other words father if there be any other way to redeem me from what's about to happen if there's any other way that we could redeem humanity would you spare me right now now that's a moving prayer but can you imagine being the recipient of that prayer God the Father hearing His Son. Father, if there's any other way. And perhaps, this is not scriptural, so so let's pause there for a second. This is just my mind going, knowing how it plays out. Can you imagine the Father responding to Him, saying, there, there is no other way but for you to suffer for their sake. I'm going to forsake you. You're going to die. But you're going to overcome death, and we will be restored. And they will have a way to be reconciled. That's huge. Our Lord was not agonizing in the garden because he was afraid. He knew what was before him. He was preparing to courageously drink the cup that his father had prepared where he would become the sin of the world, that he would receive the, the full wrath of God for the sin of the world, the eternal consequences for the sin of the world, so that we might know the righteousness of God. Warren Weersby said this, Many godly people have been arrested, beaten, and slain because of their faith. But only Jesus experienced being made sin and a curse for mankind. The father has never forsaken any of his own, yet he forsook his son. This was the cup Jesus willingly drank for us. Jesus finished his prayer Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Your will be done. And that's consistent with the character of Christ. When we read through his ministry, this is consistent with him. In John six thirty eight, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. John eight twenty nine. Jesus said, I always do those things that please the Father. Philippians 2, 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. No matter the shame, no matter the separation, no matter the suffering, Jesus yielded himself to the will of God. That's what it means to refuse the flesh. Now we, we can just make that application right now in our lives. And and I could ask you, I don't need you to answer out loud, but I could ask, how are you refusing the flesh? How are you giving up your desires to follow his? What's the sacrifice you're making living out the gospel day after day after day after day? Are you refusing the flesh? Jesus' response, your will be done, is really proclaiming, Father, I trust you. Be glorified in me. Wouldn't that be a great prayer to incorporate into our lives? Whatever we're going through. No matter the depth of grief, no matter the pain, no matter the financial loss, no matter how bleak the future looks, no matter how deep the valley, no matter how high the mountain, no matter how wide the sea, that we could just look at God and say, God, I lay my burden at your feet and I trust you. Be glorified in me. Oh, if we could just pray this in, in earnestness. It's just for a time that we're here. And we live that he would be glorified in us. So as we consider what Jesus was about to endure for our sake, might we also consider our devotion to him who became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. No matter the cost, are you remaining committed No matter the persecution, are you persistent in your relationship with Christ? No matter the temporary reward that the earth, the world will hang out in front of you, are you refusing the flesh to glorify God? Even though you grieve, even though you're burdened, even though you do not understand, will you follow Jesus today? We can't be casual Christians. We can't be casual Christians who try to insert God into our busy lives. We can't be casual Christians that will run to to God when things aren't working out the way we think they ought to. And we've created a mess for ourselves and we just run to Him only in those times. We don't run to God when it's just convenient for us. We have been purchased by the Lamb of God. By His blood, we have been purchased. And He came and He suffered for our sake. Listen, because we were His mission. He was obedient to the Father so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be forgiven so that we could escape the eternal consequences of our sin and rebellion against God. Jesus prayed the same thing three times in this passage. I suppose you could try to make a connection here and say, well, the three prayers were for the three times he was getting ready to be denied that night or the three prayers were for the three days that he would be in the tomb and you could try to do that and there's plenty of other threes in the bible it represents the father and son holy spirit but the bible doesn't say anything like that i I do believe what the picture is and, and what we should draw from this the greater point here is that jesus desired communion with the father It wasn't just a one and done. God, if there is any other way, let it be done. Not my will, but yours, and walk away. He kept coming. He wanted to be in communion with God. Why would he want to be in such communion with God? Because of the words he said to Peter, you'll be strengthened against temptation when you're in fellowship with God. Verse 41, he said that very thing to Peter. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And not only did he say that, he proved that. As we saw Jesus being strengthened, and he rose up and went to suffer that very night. What did the disciples do? They fell asleep. They didn't seek God. And as we'll see as we continue on in these chapters, they fled from his presence when he was arrested. And Peter would deny him that night. Their flesh was weak. Jesus' flesh was strengthened. They avoided prayer. Jesus gave us the example of prayer. Do you see the connection here? And it's not just for the Garden of Gethsemane, it's for today. How are we reaching out? How are we seeking communion with God? If it's only on Sunday for an hour, if it's only on Wednesday for for an hour, we're not being strengthened. We might be reminded, but we're not being strengthened. You must be in His presence to be strengthened by Him. Prayer in Scripture. Know His character. Know His promises. And follow Him. You may have the want to, but if you don't receive the Lord's strength, you're not going to be successful in overcoming your temptation. I've been around too many people who've wanted to break an addiction. And let me just say, you can't do it on your own. God can strengthen you, He will strengthen you. Our passage ends with Jesus saying, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus submitted to the Lord. Jesus was strengthened by the Lord and then he rose to suffer for our sake. As we consider this passage, here was my prayer this morning. That we would have a greater understanding of the Lord's love for us. Of what he did. It was not easy. As we can see by the... Sweating of blood, anguish, to the point of death. He suffered before he suffered. But he refused the flesh so that God would be glorified. And the thing that's hanging in the balance might still be hanging in the balance for you. If you've not received this gift of salvation that God is offering you to be reconciled to him, it's paid for. You just haven't received it yet. And maybe that's what God's doing this morning. He's reminding you that that he loves you no matter what has happened in your life. I had a gentleman come up to me weeping. And he said, there's no way God can forgive me for what I did in Vietnam. There's no way. I said, oh, sir, yes, yes. He does. There's nothing in your life that he will not forgive if you'll just come. Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of all sin. He became all sin for you and for me. He was buried three days later, resurrected to overcome death so that you and I can have life. Oh, do you know him that way? Do you commune with my Father in heaven through Jesus Christ? 1 Peter 2.24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. Have you... Died to sin. Have you been healed by by the wounds of Jesus? Are you now living to righteousness? There's no greater decision that you could make than to follow Jesus Christ. The only way to be reconciled to God is through him. He suffered for you. He paid the penalty, the eternal consequences for you. And now he's inviting you to come to him and have eternal life and fellowship. I'm going to ask a question. And, and again, this isn't to be shouting out loud for your answer, but on a scale of one to ten, one being Satan, 10 being Jesus. How committed are you to following Christ? One to ten. I want you to answer this in your head. One to ten. One is Satan, who's full rebellion. Ten is Jesus, who is perfect obedience. Let me ask you another question. You can answer this one out loud. Where do you believe God would want us to be? On that scale. Ten. I believe that to be true. It's impossible to do on your own. Here's the beauty of salvation Colossians chapter 3 tells us that we are covered in Christ. So, what Jesus, or what God the Father sees as He looks at me through the eyes of heaven, is His Son who lived perfectly for him. Yes, I still make mistakes. Yes, I still sin. Yes, I I pay the the present consequences for sin in my life. But eternally, I'm seen as perfect. And you are too if you're his child. But when I look at the scale, 1 to 10, and let's just say, hey, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I could do better. But let's just say I'm a 6. What do you think God wants you to do right now concerning your six or your seven or your four or your nine? What is he calling you to do this morning? Is there any part of your flesh that he's, he's asking you right now, refuse that so you can come closer? Often when we look at God's word, we see all the commands. We can make a list of all the things that we're supposed to do, not supposed to do, how I'm supposed to look, how I'm supposed to act, what I'm not supposed to say. We can make a long list of of what we see that God says is is what a Christian does. That's not to restrict us. It's to bring us closer. You see, we, we can't draw close to God and rebel against him at the same time. So if, if he's bringing something up in your life, something in your flesh that you know that you're, you're struggling with, you've had a struggle with, you've never refused it, you're just, you just keep trying to do it on your own. Would you just acknowledge this morning that until you get rid of that, you can't come closer? See, every command that God gives us is to bring us closer to him, to be more like him in character, to be in, in communion with him, in fellowship with him, to be representative of him, to be his ambassadors. You know, in Acts 1-8, Jesus said that we would all be his witnesses. The truth about that is some of us are good ones and some of us are bad ones, but we're all witnesses. Where's God moving you this morning to be a good witness for him, that he be glorified in your life? We're going to have an invitation right now. The invitation is simply this. Would you obey what God said to do this morning? And in that, we're going to have the, the altar is open. You can come pray. You don't have to tell anybody anything. Just deal with it on your own with God. You come on up. But like last week, maybe you just can't hold on any tighter, any longer, and it's time to let go and say, I need Jesus Christ as my Lord. And I need to experience his forgiveness and his love and his salvation. And we would love to help you with that decision this morning. Let me pray over us and then we're going to sing. You're going to stand. And then I'm going to ask that you come as God leads you. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word, for showing us not only your humanity, but your divinity. And Lord, I pray that as you have spoken to us this morning, we will respond to you in a way that brings you glory in Jesus name. Amen. Y'all stand and sing this morning. Come as God has led you.